Hey, everybody. With the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners, the producers of CES, the largest and the most influential tech event on the planet. We are here to get you CES ready. Yes, even so far in advance of the 2020 show. Speaking of, the dates are January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas, as always. And today we're talking about a somewhat new category in space at CES. That is cryptocurrency, blockchain as a whole. You may have heard recently about some news if you read, oh, say, any media outlet in the last few weeks. Facebook introduced its very first cryptocurrency. It's called Libra. Banks generally very excited about the possibilities involved here. The tech sector reaction, mm, a little bit mixed. Well, today we are going straight to the experts from the cryptocurrency sector to talk about the state of the industry today and what is possible. We'll talk to one founder and CEO who got his start when a sports injury brought him down. He wasn't even in the tech sector at the time. And today he's leading a company that's trying to bring cryptocurrency to everyday consumers. Also, someone from the group MakerDAO, it's actually the CEO and president, so he knows whereof he speaks, one of the so-called stable coins out there. Uh, we'll take a deep dive into that as well. That is all coming up on a very complex yet interesting edition of CES Tech Talk. With us today is founder and CEO of Bundle, Dimitri Love. He is also a Shark Tank veteran. Dimitri, glad you survived that experience. Came through really well and, and are joining us today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be here. All right. Cryptocurrency has, I think, a different connotation, or at least you may get different reactions when people hear about it. Um, what it was two years ago or three years ago versus what it is today. What's your take? Yeah, so I think it's evolved into um, something a little more mainstream. Um, three years ago, it was kind of something reserved for the tech geeks like me. Um, but I think now it's something more usable, something that we can all adopt. Are you seeing any kind of souring of attitudes or maybe lessening of, of, of optimism, is a less pejorative way to put it, around crypto just with some questions about the exchanges, some issues in, with the drastic fluctuation of pricing. Is there a little less enthusiasm? There was for a second, um, but I think it's being recovered. So, um, you know, about a year ago uh, when cryptocurrency was booming, got up to about 19,500, um, you know, there are people trying to um, do bad things. You know, there was the ICO fiasco mm -hmm. um, and ended up crashing um, a few months after that. Um, and I think it's definitely recovering from that. Um, and I think that people are starting to see that we're moving towards a digital age and we need something like cryptocurrency in our ecosystem. So let's talk about your company's place in that ecosystem bundle. Um, and I'm just going to give a thumbnail and I may get parts wrong in oversimplification, but you have a very nice value prop here. And, and that seems to be the the uh, seamlessness of, of how you convert real, I say real, but hard currency into crypto. And that is simply um, rounding up from purchases from a credit card 
and putting that spare change, for lack of a better term, into crypto. Is it really that simple? It is, yeah. So um, we really wanted to set out and build something that was easy for the consumer. Um, we found that you know a lot of people didn't know how to buy cryptocurrency. They didn't know you know where to purchase it, and they didn't know how to you know store their keys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to build an application to um, really make it simple. They kind of log into the app, they set it and forget it. Um, and they can also mitigate risk. So what the Roundup technology does is it allows you to dollar cost average into the market slowly, um, whereas you're putting you know small amounts consistently over time um, instead of putting a large sum of money into the market immediately and you know uh, fighting that volatility that crypto is known for. Now you mentioned people not really knowing how to get into it, but. To be direct, I think it's a bit of a highway, right? Even if you know what to do, it's not as simple as uh, yeah. opening an E-Trade account or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a little a little unique. Um, and again, one of the reasons why we um, made our application, um, you know, cryptocurrency um, was kind of made for the again the tech geek, um, someone that wants to remain anonymous, kind of that like dark, sleek, you know, hacker type personality. Um, and we wanted to come out and say, hey, like, yes, this can be used for nefarious reasons, but it also can be an asset. It also is, you know, um, a good performing asset that you can invest in. Yeah. So the light versus the dark, uh, where where does your audience fit in there? Who is your audience? Yeah. So our audience is an 18 to 26 year old, um, mostly males. Um, we're targeting the female demographic as well. Um, but when it comes to light versus dark, um, most of our people that sign up for the app are actually, um, very, very much, you know, not necessarily tech geeks, you know, they might have, um, just graduated college and got a good job, but don't necessarily know how to invest. Um, you know, they're the younger generation that, you know, has a little bit of extra money, but doesn't know where to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, so not necessarily anyone that's, you know, used to the tech scene trying to um, gather more cryptocurrency for their own needs. Um, it's mostly someone that uh, hasn't been into the market at all mm-hmm. and wants to learn. And you have, to some extent, a built-in demo group or focus group, right, with with your own family. That was part of the, the impetus for you exploring this space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, one day... Uh, especially during the boom, um, you know, I had a lot of people coming to me saying, Hey, Dimitri, you know, how do we buy this cryptocurrency thing? We see it on TV all the time. Um, you know, we have stocks in our portfolio. We just want to buy some and be safe. Um, and one day, you know, my mom asked me, Hey, like help me buy some crypto. Um, (laughs) a phrase which no one's mom ever says to anyone except you. No, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and it was interesting. I was excited to help her. You know, I pointed her to, uh, towards Coinbase, um, which has the most user-friendly UI. Um, and I thought it'd be simple, but she just couldn't understand it. She couldn't understand, you know, how to set up her wallet or even what a wallet was. And um, I thought there had to be a simpler way to do it. There had to be some way you can just log in, you know, sign up for an account um, and, you know, push a button and set it and forget it. So there's a long, long path seemingly from, 
you know, you tapping your chin, looking up at the sky and saying, hmm, I think there's something here to where you are today, which is Bundle is this exciting, uh, frictionless company. At least that's that's the pitch. So how do you start from not being in the tech sector and saying, I'm going to get in the tech sector? There's promise here. So that's a bit of a, a, a long story, so bear with we've, me. So, we've got time. That's all right. Um, yeah, so I was a biochemistry major at the University of Arkansas. Um, I was in my third year um, finishing up. And I ended up tearing my ACL, MCL, and my meniscus in my left knee. Um, and if most people don't know, that's actually three of the five things that keep your knee together. <laughs> yeah, the common parlance um, for that is shredding your knee, right? Yes, shredding, shredding the knee. Um, yeah, and I played soccer, so um, you know I was used to kind of injuries like that, but nothing that put me down. Um, to that extent. And I was on crutches for nine months. Um, I had to do physical therapy for about six months after that. Um, so for the better part of a year and a half, I was just down. Um, and during that time, um, my CTO now, um, he was my roommate and he was a computer science major. He was a little younger than me. Um, and he just looked at me. I was like, Hey man, you know, want to learn how to code? And I was like, Sure, you know, <laughs> why not? Um, I ended up getting uh, pretty good at it. Um, I got an internship, um, and I actually dropped out of college um, against my family's wishes um, to pursue that path. Um, and during that time, I was like, you know, I want to build something for myself. I want to be that Silicon Valley guy with a cool tech company so i started brainstorming ideas and i'd already been interested in crypto um, i started educating myself on finance um, because my family has a strong finance background um, my partner and initial uh, angel investor my uncle he was actually a futures trader um, so i actually got a lot of information from him starting out um, and once i felt you know adequately educated as as any CEO can be, <laughs> um, you know, I decided to pull the trigger and started the LLC um, and, you know, kind of hit the ground running. And the next thing you know, you find yourself on Shark Tank, uh, staring down the sharks who I think in the if for anyone who's watched this show, um, you know, you are charmingly unpolished in part of your pitch. But that that was almost endearing to them. Um, still an intimidating experience, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's definitely kind of shaped who I am. Um, gave me a lot of experience jumping from, you know, I had never pitched any investor, um, let alone the biggest in the world. So I kind of just jumped in um, head first. Um, so it gave me a lot of fantastic experience. So you walk away with more experience, but you also walk away with an investor. Kevin O'Leary says yes, but there's a pretty heavy qualifier there, right? Yeah, so he offered us um, $100,000 for 50% of the company. Yeah, maybe not the deal you were looking for, right? Here's half my company. Thanks, Mr. <laughs> Angel. <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely not. Um, but here's the thing. So on the show, um, I knew that to, uh, get exposure as a 
um, cryptocurrency company, I, I was going to need someone behind me. Um, and I needed someone behind me that had, you know, a lot of heavy say in the finance community, someone that everyone knows, um, someone with a strong personality. Um, and we had already been trying to explore different inf influencers for that. Um, and Kevin just, he was the perfect fit. So, um, when I accepted on the show, um, it was just, yeah, you know, 50% of the company, that's not cool. But at the same time, like, look at what we gained by doing that. Right. Right. So let's uh, move into the present tense now. You were based in Dallas, uh, a bit of proof that, that tech innovation can happen anywhere under the right circumstances. So where is Bundle now? Yeah, so um, I'm really excited. So we're actually being accelerated by Capital Factory. Mm -hmm. um, Capital Factory is an accelerator based in um, downtown Dallas as well as Austin, Texas. Um, and we are just about five days from releasing the second iteration of the app. Um, so if you don't mind, I can, I'll go into a few details. So once we launched the application, um, we didn't have many users. We were in a testing phase trying to gather data, um, find our product market fit, and Shark Tank called us, um, and they asked us to be on the show. So, you know... With that being so awesome, we didn't have time to prepare the system. Um, we were able to get it, you know, scalable so it can handle all of, all of the traffic, um, but we weren't able to really iron out um, exactly how to scale it into, you know, thousands and thousands of users like we got once we aired. Uh, so we ran into some issues, um, especially with uh, we use Coinbase as our um, main API for the application. Um, and if people don't know what an API is, it's an application programming interface um, where you can you know integrate into different parties technology to use for your own you know self-gain um, and with that uh, we ran into some issues about 50 percent of our users couldn't use the application um, because the big four banks uh, were vetoing coinbase transactions so we really had to figure out exactly how to bring all the technology in-house um, we really needed to make strategic partnerships um, and really like, you know, breathe new life, new life into the system um, in order to scale it like it needs to scale. Um, and I'm happy to say we did all of that. We made those partnerships. Um, we updated the UI. Um, we added a few new amazing features. And yeah, we're about five days from launching that. And I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, another key step for, for you and for Bundle, Dimitri was going to CES 2019, your first yeah. trip to the show. Uh, you had a spot in Eureka Park. Talk about how it how the week went for you, right? The exposure, the attention, the connections you were able to make. It was fantastic. So I was a bit naive and didn't know what CES was. Um, I had never really heard of it. Um, you know, being so young in the tech sector, um, I didn't know what it was. And when we got invited out, I was like, oh, cool, we'll get to exhibit. You know, you know, we had already exhibited at a small show uh, in Quebec, so I thought it would be similar to that. Um, and I told my uncle, and he absolutely flipped out. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what I was telling him either. Um, and I started researching it. I found that it was the biggest technology show in the world, and we were able to make some fantastic connections um, it was very overwhelming, but very worth it. Um, I think we went through at least five or 600 business cards. 
Um, and it was crazy. People were stopping by, taking pictures. They saw that I was on Shark Tank. Um, people were like, hey, we want to integrate this with our business. Um, it's just a, a fantastic networking opportunity. And you have to, you have to be uh, full of a lot of coffee to handle it. <laughs> so you come back to CES in, in 2020. You've got an idea of the audience, the scope, the scale. What is your approach? What is your pitch, Dimitri, as you are uh, making those connections uh, across the show floor and in meetings? Um, is it the value of bundles specifically? Is it the value of crypto as well? Um, what is the value prop that you're pitching to that audience while you're there? So I would be pitching um, the value of bundle as an application, as a service. Um, you know, like I said, our whole goal is to educate and make it easy to buy cryptocurrency. Um, so I would want to tell um, every single person, hey, you know, buying cryptocurrency isn't easy. Um, you may not know where to start. Check out Bundle and we can help you out. The company is Bundle, B-U-N-D-I-L, if you're checking in your <laughs> yeah. app store. Uh, Dimitri Love is the founder and CEO with one very unique backstory to say the least Dimitri appreciate your time and hey we look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas in just a few months yeah thank you so much joining us today from Mountain View California a town you should know awfully well by now is Stephen Becker he is the president and COO of MakerDAO and Stephen great to have you with us today my friend Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. Uh, so let's start off with a bit of your view, and this is separate from MakerDAO as a company, but your view of the relationship between blockchain and cryptocurrency and something of a state of the industry. Where are we right now? What is what is your thumbnail for people who are trying to understand the state of play as we know it? I think there is a realization that's happening, and that realization is that there's actual value that blockchain can contribute to the traditional world. And as such, you, you start to see that uh, very much come out in the way you know, regulators are interacting, the way that uh, these large corporates and large banks are starting to develop using blockchain. So uh, if, if there's anything to take away from this, it's really that the traditional world is starting to get a real glimpse at you know, what blockchain and cryptocurrency can do for them. And let's talk now more specifically about your company, about MakerDAO. Um, and, and, and you've described it as, you know, in an overarching term, decentralized finance. DeFi sounds like the, the best term to use for insiders. Um, and to be clear, this is an idea of this uh, option not to replace our current monetary system by, by any stretch. It's about dovetailing, mm -hmm. I think, which is your word, the idea of these coming together in a supplement, correct? That is correct. That is actually spot on. Um, just to uh, take a, a step back, if you don't mind. So a, a little bit of a, a complication, but generally it's good to speak this through so that everyone can understand. So MakerDAO is actually the combination of a protocol and the community around that protocol. And that protocol lives on chain. So um, I work for the, the Maker Foundation. And the foundation is one of the super users to this protocol. So that's just a differentiating factor. Uh, and the reason I want to differentiate that is because the, the DAO in MakerDAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. 
So to those that are um, uh, less inclined to know what that means, it literally is a full suite of smart contracts working together on chain to come up with uh, um, uh, a function to achieve the objective of creating a stable coin. So that's a little bit of a, a, a wall of words, but that's effectively <laughs> what it does. But at the end of the day, the simplest explanation is MakerDAO creates a stable coin that is at the heart of really transacting this DeFi economy. And without a stable coin, you're not going to have the ability to transact. Without transactions, you're not going to build an economy on chain. And that economy on chain is, again, something that uh, um, is going to dovetail with the traditional economy. You're going to find that there are goods and services in the traditional world that as soon as you bring on chain, you're going to have massive efficiency increases on and um, massive value plays that you that uh, uh, will trans, uh, translate into uh, better costs, uh, a better revenue. But more importantly, is that it's not going to necessarily substitute everything. There are some things that shouldn't go on chain, and there are some things that are inherent to blockchain itself where you can actually produce goods and services only on chain and that is going to create the dovetail that we're all looking for mm -hmm. the, the the term stable coin steven and i'm glad you're you're parsing your words carefully and we're getting into definitions a little bit how do you explain stablecoin it's a term that is popping up more and more frequently it seems in in this field whereas before uh cryptocurrency may have been the one umbrella term for the uninitiated and, and those who are trying to understand the space? So the, the easy definition of a stablecoin is it is a cryptocurrency that has the objective of minimizing its volatility in price by um, pegging itself to a stable store of value. So let's put it into an easy sort of vernacular. Basically, a, a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency that pegs itself to a US dollar to gold, to something that has a stable source of value that everyone is used to and pretty much can inherit those characteristics on chain. So if you see a stable coin that has those, those particularly inherent characteristics, you've pretty much got all the features or almost all the features of digital cash. And that is ultimately what a stable coin is trying to achieve, is to become digital cash. And that's why from you know, our point of view, it's not only that you know Dai is a stable coin that is um, uh, digital cash, but it's actually one of the first decentralized, fully collateralized uh, um, digital cash that is currently working right now. It's fully functional and um, very much comparable to the the other stable coins out there, the decentralized stable coins, the ones that are backed by uh, you know Fiat, which is something like Gemini or Tether or mm -hmm. um, TrueUSD. The, the similarities are there in terms of what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to create the, the, the facilitation of transactions on chain. So from the definition of a stable coin all the way through to, well, what are we trying to achieve? It really is that um, the transactional facilitation. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, this is the DAI, D-A-I, for those of you who haven't seen it written out before, aren't familiar with it, um, it seems, Stephen, and I don't want to oversimplify this, so so sure. correct me immediately if, if if I'm doing so, but that what what can appear to be a splintering of all the forms of crypto, cryptocurrency are really 
more and more subtle delineations for what each mm -hmm. can do as a function. So you're not as as the die. The die is not necessarily competing against every other crypto out there. It's a certain kind. It's it, the, the stablecoin has a market, and that market is not necessarily impinged by the those those uh, cryptocurrencies that are that are, for lack of a better term, or more nuanced, not as stable, a little more freeform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know, basically it services you know, two different aspects. The stablecoin ideally is saying, well, let's have a look at, for instance, the use of Bitcoin to, to service a transaction. Mm -hmm. um, the underlying problem with Bitcoin and Ether is that nothing is priced in Bitcoin or Ether, right? So if you, if you go to Starbucks, you're not exactly going to pay 0.0005 Bitcoin for a cup of coffee. You're still going to go you know, pay $2.50 for your, for your cup of coffee. And that is inherently where the problem starts, because if Bitcoin is not, if, let's put it this way, sorry, if goods and services are not priced in, in Bitcoin, then Bitcoin needs to still be valued in dollars. And hang on a second, Bitcoin seems to be very volatile in terms of dollars. So, you know, what do we need to do? Well, we need to have something that pegs to the dollar and can be used on chain. So from the stable point, stable coin point of view, we are trying to solve that problem mm -hmm. of the inherent volatility in transactions and at the same time also the, um, the volatility in storing your value on chain because it's all very well saying, you know, I went and bought myself some Bitcoin to do a transaction, but as soon as you receive that Bitcoin, you, you have this problem. Do you want to keep the Bitcoin on chain or do you want to basically off-ramp it into dollars because you're worried about the volatility? Mm -hmm. With stable coins, you alleviate that problem as well. So. It's transactional value volatility um, and also just general store of value volatility that you're solving for. Mm -hmm. So that's why the stablecoin space is not really impinging uh, on any other crypto currencies out there because they're starting to differentiate clearly in terms of what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to achieve it. Mm -hmm. So what is the audience for the DAI? Who are the customers there? I mean, you, you're, you have the ears of a very tech-savvy audience right now. Um, mm -hmm. Whom are you trying to reach? For whom is the die the most useful? Well, uh, die is the most useful, to be honest, from uh, you know enterprise all the way through down to retail. But let me give an example of who we're trying to target. We are trying to target the the folks who want to create um, a more open economy for themselves to bring more consumers on board. So, for instance. Um, if I have a look at the sort of enterprise level, you can use Maker's Protocol and the DAI stablecoin to create a something called a supply chain finance engine or an invoice factoring engine. You can use DAI along with all the other stablecoins to create remittance engines. And um, all the way down to, to, and this is something specific to MakerDAO and its protocol, you can start creating very bespoke financial solutions for yourself. And this goes all the way down to, again, also buying yourself a cup of coffee. But I think the one aspect that is, is really important here is that the construct of the Maker Protocol gives you so much versatility that you can see how it is a possible augmentation to your payment rails behind a debit card transaction. The audience out there that want to use DAI are the ones that are looking for um, any sort of use case from enterprise level, which includes supply chain finance through to invoice factoring, 
then you can create engines with respect to that. Uh, think about that in terms of folks who are selling product and think about it in terms of how you get your uh, financing in to get working capital back into, into your organization. All the way through to remittances, which is what you know, most stable coins can uh, you know, largely service. And these are remittances that are not really constrained by anything because uh, you know, the blockchain is open and accessible to the entire globe. Um, all the way down to creating really bespoke financial solutions for, for individuals in terms of how they purchase things, um, uh, in terms of how they engage with, with organizations, and again, all the way down to literally buying a cup of coffee from Starbucks. So the, the audience that we are appealing to are the folks who inherently want to use what I like to call an unbiased, decentralized stablecoin, something accessible um, really anywhere around the globe, but at the same time, you do not have, uh, you know, the jurisdictional constraints. You do not have the economic constraints. You don't have the trade embargo constraints that most of your currencies are um, sort of, let's call it, afflicted with. This is a digital cash without those constraints. So it's going to open up. Um, so many avenues to new use cases for the dollar and then by extension, any other reserve currencies that are out there. So what is your strategy then going into CES 2020, Stephen, in terms of reaching the people that you need to reach, having those business conversations you need to have, because you're going to have mm -hmm. every tech sector and, and, and then some outside of traditional tech represented there. Um, how do you approach it? Well, my approach is to say, well, let's have a look at what you can do in the payment space. Let's have a look at what you can do with respect to mobile applications. Um, how does this um, look with, with respect to the, um, the, the, the products that you're creating? Um, not only in terms of how you can generate better revenue from the actual sales of the products, but the actual use of the products itself. You know, where can you use dye within it? Is it something that you can incorporate and integrate the, the, um, the make a protocol all the way through to the actual use of the stablecoin itself. It really is versatile. But the, at the end of the day, it really boils down to simply looking at um, a stablecoin and how you can interact with users across the globe. All right. So, Stephen, final question. Your South African accent is bleeding through just a little bit. I'm sure a number of people are scratching their heads going, I, I know that accent. What is it? And you're a Cape Town resident. Maybe maybe one of the best wine regions in the world. Uh, all right, what, what's your favorite grape right now? What's, what are you excited about? Here's your chance. Um, well, not so much the grape. My favorite, um, oh my goodness, I've got to think of it clearly. Um, what is my, my, my favorite is a dessert wine. It comes from uh, the Cape Cellar. I couldn't remember the name of the cellar. Oh my goodness gracious. One that Napoleon liked. Um, <laughs> That's a pretty oh, good I can't endorsement. Remember. You got me on the back foot. I can't remember. But if you, <laughs> if anything, I always settle for a nice Sangiovese. Ah, uh, very safe call. All right. Yeah. All right. Stephen Becker is president and COO of MakerDAO. Stephen, very much looking forward to seeing you in Las Vegas at CES 2020. Oh, that would be brilliant. We're looking forward to seeing you there as well. Thank you very much for your time. All right, next time here on CES Tech Talk, we are addressing resilience. This is a booming category at CES with so many applications. 
preparing for natural disasters, recovering from disasters after they strike, and technology's critical role in this. So we are talking with one of the leaders of IBM's program. It's called Code and Response. And we're discussing in one aspect how technology can address resilience, both existing technologies and also ideas maybe no one's even dreamed up yet. So they came up with a solution, a hardware and software one, to create a, a temporary, quickly established network so the basic needs can be created. That is on the next edition of CES Tech Talk. A reminder, we want you to be CES ready. So do yourself a favor and do us a favor too. Subscribe to CES Tech Talk podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. That way you won't miss any of our episodes leading up to the 2020 show. Speaking of, CES 2020 is January 7th through the 10th in Las Vegas. The latest information you need is at ces.tech. That is ces.tech. As always, none of this would be possible without our true superstars, our executive producer, Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. You all are the very best in the business. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon.